Let's take our Bible, if you haven't done so, and let's turn to the book of Psalms. In Hebrew, it's called the book of praises. In the Greek, it's called the book of pluckings, because you'd pluck from a stringed instrument, because they were meant to be sung. They were written to be sung. They are prayers. They are hymns uh, written for God's people. They are 150 inspired hymns. You know, just like, you know, songwriters nowadays, they have a best hit on the radio, and then it's kind of old in a couple of weeks or months or years, right? Or a couple decades or whatever. But God's 150 hymns in God's Word, they never grow old. They never grow outdated. We need them and we benefit from them. Psalm 52 is where we are. I want to read the entire psalm. It's not very long, but I want to begin with the title. And the title is actually a fairly long title. It begins with this, a maskeel of David. The word maskeel in Hebrew means a skillful psalm to teach. It's meant to give you wisdom for life. A maskeel of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good. Falsehood more than speaking what is right, Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living, Selah. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but he trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give thanks. I will give you thanks forever. Because you have done it, and I will wait on your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly ones. And then the subscription or the conclusion is for the choir director, meaning it was meant to be sung in the assembly. And then the following phrase after that, according to the machalath in Hebrew, the reason they left it in Hebrew is because they don't know what it means. It may have been like a tune, kind of like we'll sing this psalm to the tune of Amazing Grace or something. But machalath in Hebrew, interestingly, means dance. So um, maybe that was a tune that was more upbeat and more peppy. Psalm 52. Let's pray, and then we'll look at it together. Great God, we thank you that we can come to your word together as a family of believers And all of us come to you, O Lord, all of us whose hearts have been changed. And, O God, we we begin by confessing our pride. And yet, Lord, we ask that in your great power and your wisdom and your penetrating love that you would 
arrest us with the love of Christ and expose the great evils of our pride that still remains. We pray that we would be diligent to put pride to death and that we would trust in the living God and in the loyal love of our great God. In his name we pray. Amen. If you look in your Bible at verse 1, the psalmist begins by saying, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? Verse 3, you love evil more than good. Verse 4, you love devouring words. That's a, a pretty fitting text for what just happened yesterday. A Turkish lawmaker was on national television yesterday. He suffered a heart attack at the end of a live-streamed speech. And in that speech, at the conclusion of his speech, he slammed the nation of Israel. In fact, he said, quote, Israel will not escape the wrath of Allah, end of quote. After that, he concluded his speech by saying, I salute you all. And then he fell down and had an immediate heart attack. Current condition today, extremely critical and serious condition. That man is a prideful man. That man threatened Israel. That man was walking in pride. That man, no doubt, had hostile words. According to verse 4, he loved words that devour. He, he wanted to swallow up the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. In pride, he was walking in the false religion of Mohammedism or Islam. Does God know? <laughs> Does God take action? It's on national television. You can see it. Was God involved in that incident? Absolutely he was. Absolutely. It's a fitting illustration for what we're going to look at tonight in Psalm 52. We are going to understand the reality of and the danger of and the evils of pride. Daniel 4.37, the man Nebuchadnezzar, after he boasted in his pride and the palace and the great city of Babylon that he had, God humbled him. And then he said at the end of that seven-year period, God is able to humble those who walk in pride. You know, there is nothing more anti-God than pride. There is nothing that is more characteristic of Satan than pride. Psalm 52 teaches us that. Now, when we look at the title of Psalm 52, we learn that David wrote it to give you skill. A maskil is the Hebrew word. He, he wrote it so that you would learn how to live in a godly way. And the historical context is when a man named Doeg, he was an Edomite, he was a servant of Saul, and he came and told King Saul, I know where David is. You want to hunt him down and you want to kill King David? I know where David is. The historical text for that is 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. David 
comes to the city of Nob. It's a, it's a little, a little text in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, not super long and super detailed, but David running from King Saul for his life, and David finds himself in the city of Nob, and there he's given the consecrated bread by the high priest Ahimelech. He's given the sword of Goliath as well. Well, a guy named Doeg hears of it. He tells Saul where David is, and Saul commands the priests of that city of Nob to be killed because they helped David. Well, all the servants of Saul chose, rightly so, to not obey him. We're not going to raise our hand against the 85 priests of the Lord. We're not going to do it. But a guy in his wicked pride named Doeg, he did. He not only killed 85 priests, but he killed men, women, children, and livestock. He killed, the whole city was killed by this man. He was a wicked, bloodthirsty, arrogant evildoer. He was like the Judas of the Old Testament. He was the betrayer. He was the evil murderer who is fit for destruction. Maybe Psalm 52 tonight and next week we'll look at Psalm 53 are put back to back because they both describe the characteristics of the wicked man. But before we look into the text, I just want to remind you of James chapter 4. Nathan, Nathan read 1 Peter 5, which is the parallel verse. But in James 4, verse 6, we read that God is opposed to the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. I want to teach you something about that Greek word, God is opposed. The word in Greek means he's at war with. God is at war with the proud. God is angry. He is incensed, he is enraged, and God has lifted up his sword and he's running toward the wicked. God is not indifferent, he is not apathetic, he is not naive. God is not only aware of the proud, but he is actively enraged in battle against the wicked. But but to the humble, God gives grace. He gives grace. Now, if we sort of zoom out, remember, we, we look at each verse and paragraph in the discourse. When we look at the book of James, where we read, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble, we learn how pride is manifested in James. Your speech, wayward speech in chapter 3, with the danger of the tongue. In bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and earthly wisdom at the end of James chapter 3. In quarrels and conflicts and fights that we might have one with another in the beginning of James chapter 4. In the critical, arrogant judging and condemning of one another in James 4 verse 11, pride manifests itself. We read about this in the friendship with the world, pride is manifested in James 4 4. In the arrogance, in how we view our time, come you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, and thinking that. I have all the time in the world to live how I want is a manifestation of pride. Even chapter 5 of the book of James, the misuse of riches and wealth and taking advantage of others can be another manifestation of pride. So James, the book of James, really sort of fleshes out different manifestations of pride. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
I mention that because Psalm 52 teaches us some very important lessons. And the way that I have chosen to outline the psalm tonight is really with James chapter 4, verse 6 in mind. If you know that verse, you know my outline. God is opposed to the proud, and God is gracious to the humble. Follow with me. Let's begin in verses 1 to 7 by looking at the first heading. It's the bulk of the psalm, and yet I want to tell you how we see the evils of pride in the beginning of Psalm 52. In verse 1, why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? Here's the profile of the big shot. O mighty man, maybe in modern vernacular, he's the big shot. He's the guy who brags about his power. What is pride? It's the word boasting right here for self-praising, self-congratulating. He talks about himself. He thinks about himself. He loves himself. He boasts in himself. He, he is just utterly consumed with self. Sadly and tragically, the self-boaster in evil is utterly indifferent toward the love of God, verse 1, that tells us that endures all day long. Meaning, you cannot love and cherish and live for and focus on the love of God while being prideful at the same time. You can't do it. You can't do it. Well, here's Doeg. Doeg was a terrible man. He was a wicked man. He was the hotshot. He was consumed with self. He was a self-absorbed fool, like Proverbs would put it. Charles Bridges, one Puritan commentator, said, The proud man has the, the, uh, the, the proud man is Satan's throne. We need to guard from pride. Let's see if we can understand a little bit of the man of pride. Notice what happens in verse 1 in your outline first. He has a prideful disposition. I think I put this in your outline. He has a prideful disposition. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The love of God endures all day long. He is a prideful man because he's boasting in himself. He is a prideful disposition. Second, he is known and marked by having a sharp, meaning a destructive tongue. The proud man is marked by having words that cut and words that devour life and death are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs says. Verse 2 tells us your tongue devises destruction. Your tongue is like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. Maybe you've cut yourself with a sharp razor and, you, and the blood has been drawn. The sharp razor does that. The man's tongue was like that, hurting, devouring. He's also known in verse 3, look at this, he has an evil, loving heart. Verse 3, you love evil more than good. At the end of verse 3, not only does he have an evil, loving heart, he has deceitful words. You love falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love lies more than truth. You love deception more than truthfulness. And then in verse 4, another mark of this prideful man, he has a others-hurting mentality. He, he hurts others. He doesn't mind hurting others. Verse 4, you love all words that devour, O deceitful 
tongue. Real quick, let, let, me, let me show you what God would say about this in a similar way. Go to Jeremiah chapter 9. Now, as you're turn, turning to Jeremiah 9, here's what Jeremiah is doing. He, it's in the context of Jeremiah lamenting over the people that he says they're going to be judged. And he's going to expose their evils, and he's going to expose what God says about them. Jeremiah chapter 9, in verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes were like a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. That's a true prophet. He doesn't just preach judgment and like it. He weeps over the impending judgment of the wicked. Oh, that my head were like waters. I'm weeping for the people doomed to judgment. Look at verse 3. What do they do? They bend their tongue like the bow. Lies and not truth prevail in the land. They proceed from evil to do more evil. And they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone be on guard against his neighbor and do not trust any brother because every brother deals craftily and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Sounds like our day, doesn't it? Verse 5, everyone deceives his neighbor and does not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. Your dwelling is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. So what does God do? Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and assay them. For what else can I do because of the daughter of my people? Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceit with his mouth. One speaks peace to his neighbor, but inwardly he sets an ambush for him. Verse 9, shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? I mean, that's what Jeremiah said. Psalm 52 is the same thing. We are living in days, Jeremiah says, where lies and deceit and slander and iniquity and evil doing is just prevailing across the land. And Jeremiah's weeping and he says, judgment is coming. There is great danger in pride and there is great destructive nature of prideful words. I, I remember coming across a story in England in the days of World War II. There was a, a poster that was designed to warn against the unwitting disclosure of troop movements and military secrets and so on. And it was displayed all over the country of England and the little sign said, loose talk will cost lives. If you're not careful about what you say, it may cost the lives of some of your soldiers. Well, that may be true militarily. How much more is that true spiritually as well? We want to have constructive, truthful, edifying words. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. James 3 talks a lot about the power of the tongue as well. And that's the problem of Doeg right here. He's a liar. He is an evildoer. He is a man speaking falsehood. He loves words that devour. He's just consuming and devouring people with his prideful words. Look, 
in your Bible back at the psalm in verse 5. It's an interesting phrase in the Hebrew. I think it's meant to be emphatic. Now, now get this. God is going to take action is the, the idea. Now God, four verbs, and their rapid fire action. By the way, this psalm is David talking to Doeg. Talk about boldness and courage. Four verbs, look at it in verse five. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up. He will tear you away from your tent and he will uproot you from the land of the living. God does the judging. God does the acting. God does the destroying. All these images are images of really demolishing of a house. They are demolishing of a house. They are, they are forced evacuation from a home, digging and uprooting a tree, snatching something out of a fire so that it grows cold and it's useless. God is the main actor who utterly destroys the proud one. One lesson that I think we do well to learn, God doesn't play games with the proud. God doesn't wink. He doesn't wink or overlook or turn a blind eye to the arrogant. God sees it. God hates it. And God is enraged by it. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures to think about. When we think about this idea of pride, Leviticus 26, 19, here's what God says. I will break down your pride of power. I will break it down, Leviticus 26, 19. Or Proverbs 8, 13. I mean, just simply, God says, pride, I hate. Proverbs 11, verse 2, pride brings dishonor. Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction. And Mark 7, pride comes from within, out of the heart of man. Church family, God, God knows the proud. And the proud nature of Doeg, he was a self-boaster. His tongue was like a sharp razor. He loved evil more than good. He was a liar. He was speaking falsehood. He was devouring others by his speech. He was a self-lover, a self-protector, a self-congratulator consumed with self. And we can all relate. We can all relate. I love that verse in Romans 8 that was read in verse 13. By the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You want to know our job? Kill pride. Kill it. Cut off the head. Poison it. Slay it. Mortify. Destroy pride. Spurgeon said to his congregation, never be proud of your race. Don't be, fa- be proud of your face. Don't be proud of your place. And don't be proud of your grace. Don't be proud. Words matter. And words often reveal the proud nature of our hearts. And you know what, church family, pride is in all of us. 
on that box on the third page, you see a lot of manifestations of pride. I can't read all of them, but I just want to highlight a few of them here. Pride shows itself its ugly, ugly head in so many ways in our lives. It shows itself in our ungratefulness, in our anger. When we view ourselves better than others, when I'm overly focused on my gifts and my abilities, or get this, when I'm overly focused on the gifts and abilities that I don't have, both of those are expressions of pride. The sin of perfectionism springs from pride. Talking too much, seeking control or independence, The sin of man-pleasing springs from pride. When you are devastated by criticism or reproof or a negative remark, that is a manifestation of pride. When someone is unteachable, I think even sarcasm, blame-shifting, minimizing your own sin, jealousy, not cultivating close relationships even, expressing one's own ideas and thoughts and opinions when not even asked, and being impatient and irritable with one another. All of these can spring up in our lives, and they are evidences of pride in our hearts. Again, God is opposed to the proud. The one who is strong in his pride will meet the thunderous wrath of God. I want you to see, verse 6, what does God do? God tells us in verse 6 that the righteous will see and fear, and they will laugh at him, saying, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, and and the man who trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. I put in the outline there a little box of... Some theology. I don't have time to develop that now, but I think there's theology on the end times that the righteous will see God destroy the proud. Pride is in all of us. But God, God in his mercy and in his love convicts us of our pride. And when we see pride in our lives and the manifestations of it that oozes out of us from our words or our thoughts or our deeds or our actions, we can come before the Lord and we can lay it all out open before God and we can say, Lord, I have sinned. Please forgive me. And he will. He will. That leads to the second part of the psalm. Number two in your outline, not only is God opposed to the proud, but he's gracious to the humble. He is gracious to the humble. Now, for the sake of time, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to summarize these two verses very quickly because I want to get to my conclusion. In verse eight, there's a very sharp transition. There's the proud man Doeg. That's what he's marked by. His pride, his cutting words, his swallowing words. That's who he is and his destruction is coming. Verse 8. But, but as for me, in great contrast, verse 8, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Olive trees. Big, durable, 
long lives, life-giving, fruitful, gives basis for food and medical treatment, use in building even. It's, it's known for fruitfulness and longevity and having strength. And here's David saying, even though I'm running for my life and that man Doeg is after me and he's killed all of the priests, he is such an evildoer. As for me, I'm, I'm like a green olive tree. I'm strong, not in myself. How do we know that? Look at the end of verse 8. I trust in the covenant love, the loyal love of God. That's the bracket of the whole psalm. Verse 1, Doeg ignored the love of God. But now in verse 8, David says, I trust in the loving kindness of God. Verse 9, David concludes by saying, I will give thanks to you forever, and I will wait on your name. The word wait in Hebrew means I will aggressively pursue you. This is not David being passive. This is David saying, I'm going to chase after God and I'm going to grab hold of God and I'm going to pursue God with all of my energy and lean on him. To be sure, I think the psalm teaches this. The way to resist pride and the way to cultivate humility from the beginning of the psalm to the end of the psalm, is to dwell on the love of God. The love of God. I want to spend the rest of our time here for a few minutes. I want us to understand that the way to cultivate humility is for us to contemplate and celebrate and consider, even swim deep in the oceans of God's sovereign covenant love. The great love of God is found in Christ. It is a full love, an eternal love, a satisfying love, a supreme love. Ephesians 1 says it is a love that predestines us to be children. Ephesians 3 says that this great love of Christ is wide and long and high and deep and too much to even fathom. Ephesians 5 says that this love is what motivated Christ to lay down his life as a sacrifice to the Father for us. Romans 5 tells us that this great love of Christ is so undeserved because we are the wicked, the ungodly. We are the sinners. We are those who deserve God's wrath. We are the vilest of wretches, and yet God shows his love in giving Christ for us. We learn love from 1 John chapter 4. This great love is an initiating love. We love because God first loved us. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, pride. God is opposed to the proud. I think one of the sure marks that you're a believer, I think one of the surest marks that you're a believer is humility, that you hate your pride. Is pride there? Yes. But we make it our goal and our ambition to kill it. 
Humility is the proper expression of a man who is consumed with the gospel. Now, hang with me for a sec. Ponder this. I'm just going to throw a bunch of theology at you for a sec. Did God foreknow you and me? Meaning, Romans 8, before the worlds began, he set his saving love upon you individually. And then if he foreknew you, did he elect you by name? And if he elected you, didn't he predestine you? What does that mean? Not only did he elect you, but he elected you for a purpose. That's predestination. And then did he unite you to Christ long before the worlds began? And then he effectually drew you to Christ in space and time. In some place, some time, when you heard the gospel, the Spirit of God drew you. He called you. He brought you to Christ. He regenerated you. He gave you life in your soul. And didn't you believe? And then you were justified? And then when God justified you and counted you righteous, he adopted you as children of the living God. And and then if he adopted you, doesn't he sanctify you in your whole Christian life? And then he preserves you all the way till glory. And then he's already guaranteed to glorify you and make you perfectly conformed to the Son of God. If we can think about all of those great doctrines and marvel and swim in the bottomless delight of them, can we then turn around and be prideful? We didn't initiate any of them. We didn't achieve any of them. We didn't begin any of them, and we can't finish any of them. How? Is pride shunned? And how is humility cultivated? In the 1800s, I read this some time ago and it just stuck with me. A pastor said, Do you want to be humble? He said, Think of the cross of Christ. He said, Christian, what nailed Christ to the tree? It was the bloody sweat, the crown of thorns, the tears, the pains, the taunts, the buffetings, the piercing cry. What caused all of them? Christian, it was your sins. Christian, remember this. It was your sins. Can you feel this reality and still be prideful? But then he said, do you want to be humble? Think of the pit from which he snatched you. Do you want to be humble? Think of the price at which he bought you. Do you want to be humble? Think of the grace with which he clothes you. Think of the bliss, he said, with which he will crown you one day in the future. What what is the great antidote to pride? How how, how do we grow in humility? How do we seek humility? How do we put off pride? Well, sure, there are things that we can do and things we must put on, right? Romans 13 tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. But ultimately, we need to dwell on the great love of God that is found in Christ. I want to close by taking you to a verse that I think will rock your world in closing. Luke 12. Luke 12. Go to Luke 12. 
Now, the context of Luke 12, Jesus is teaching, and he is preaching in the open air. In fact, Luke 12, 1 says, there are so many thousands of people, they were stepping on one another. Boy, every open air preacher longs for that, right? Well, Luke 12, he's preaching in the open air. He's denouncing covetousness. He's denouncing pride. He's telling God's people that God will provide for them, that they don't need to fear. And then in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he tells them, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Aren't those comforting words? And then he tells them to be ready in verse 35. Be like people who are waiting for the master when he returns. So, Christian, be ready, be watchful, be on the alert as you're looking for the return of Jesus. Now, verse 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he... Now, who's the he in grammar? It's Christ. He will gird himself to serve. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus will return and he will gird himself. Same language of the Last Supper. He girds himself with a towel to wash the feet of the disciples. He will gird himself to serve and then he will have you recline at the table. He's your host. He invites you into his home, into his banquet, to his feast. And he will invite you to recline and he will come up and he will, the Greek word is deacon. He will deacon you. He will wait on you. He'll serve you. What love. Can we behold the love of Christ, the serving nature of Christ, and still be prideful? What a, what a savior. What a savior who has done all of the work of salvation from beginning to end. What a God who has done all of this great work in giving eternal life to us. May it be that as we pray that we would remember James chapter 4, that God gives a greater grace. He is opposed to the proud. But you know what? He gives grace to the humble. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Please show us more of the love of Christ. Bring us deeper into the great doctrines of your eternal love so that we would be humbled by your love, gripped by your love, and follow Christ and walk in humility ourselves. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.